Hey, welcome to the Etch Pulsecast. That was just it's literally like, what's going wow. into my head. That's something that makes us feel good. Selling a piece of Queen Victoria's wedding cake. Actually, how unique can you make that experience? eBay for millennials. Everything I'm holding the mic like PJ and Duncan used to. So what is the this podcast, I was joined by Harriet Nicholson, our resident strategist here at Etch, where we spoke about slow travel, or the slow movement, uh, or even slow living, as we coined it in this podcast. Harriet's got a lot of uh, insight and a healthy interest in this area, um, but it's been described as an approach to travel that emphasises connection to local people, cultures, food, and music. No, 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 you just saw, wouldn't you, from the eight hours? No, it was just eight hours. Eight hours. Slow travel. Slow travel, indeed. (laughs) Yes, very, very painfully slow travel. In a certain fashion. Indeed. Well, welcome uh, to the Pulsecast. Thanks for joining us. We've got um, Harriet with us today, who is our resident strategist. Uh, is that how do you feel comfortable being called a resident strategist? Yeah, let's go. With, right? Let's go with resident strategist. Right, cool. I like that. And um, I was speaking to Harriet recently, and she's been sharing some knowledge and insights from the travel and hospitality industry, which have been really interesting. Um, so today's really about picking her brains a little bit and seeing what kind of signals and what kind of trends are out there. What kind of things are worth taking note of? So, yeah, Harry, what have you been finding interesting in the experience economy, especially around hospitality and travel? I think what I found particularly interesting is, you know, we've known for a long time, for example, that experience is kind of trumping material goods, and that's especially true in the hospitality and travel sector. But I think what we're also seeing is kind of a redefinition of the term luxury and what that actually means. Yeah. I think kind of historically, especially in, say, hospitality, you associate luxury with, you know, really nice pillows, really kind of comfortable (laughs) surroundings. I do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and and people still do. But I think a stat I find really interesting is that 65% of luxury travellers seek unique experiences. And the luxury Mm. becomes actually how unique can you make that experience, how personalised can you make that you know and how that can kind of then add to your sort of self-expression your learning your kind of (laughs) cultural identity and those kinds of things Mm. so I think luxury and experience almost becoming kind of one and the same Mm. becomes quite an interesting area is this something that's slowly been growing do you think and just for the people that don't know what experience the experience economy is um you Harry might tell me if I'm wrong but I read it was coined in the late 90s um, and it was about you had the goods economy which essentially is that's right bare goods and then then it's the service as a comedy Um, so there was an analogy about baking cakes like once uh, people used to bake cakes for birthday party it would be based on the goods they buy and then the services service economy came about you've got the Betty Crocker mix and then the experience economy which is like you know taking your kids to like a soft play area and it's all taken care of Mm. which is like an analogy of what the experience economy is but when it relates to hospitality and travel I suppose now it's sort of developing in that sector a little bit more into like uh, yeah like, I, 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 you <laughs> know I, I know I kind of I know where you're where you're going with it I think yeah I think 
you know, we have seen an evolution over time and I think we're seeing several different kind of things coming together in that. So, mm. you know, generally a society that doesn't value ownership as much in kind of other areas. and like material goods. Yeah, from a material goods point of view. Obviously increasing kind of consciousness around general kind of consumption, but also... Mm. Um, everything that kind of entails from say an environmental impact as well becomes kind of a massive one but I think there is also something around the kind of importance almost of like personal branding and Mm. what experience then means for you as a person and you and everything that that kind of entails from from you as an individual and how that shapes you I see so I've heard like I've heard the word slow travel crop up especially when I was doing research around like experience economy mm-hmm. in travel and hospitality now. And I was just trying to see what your point of view on that was. How, what does that mean to you? I, I understand it like, my understanding is slow travel is about people taking a trip that takes a longer time, but I might be totally off the mark. But I know this is kind of a buzzword at the moment, or something to take note of. Yeah, and I think there's like a kind of an abstract understanding of slow travel and a literal understanding of slow travel (laughs) so the literal is very much absolutely as you say taking transport means that could be much faster say by plane so walking or cycling or boat travel for example train travel all examples of slow travel quite literally Mm. but the idea of slow as kind of a concept came about actually with slow food in 1986 oh yeah and it was by a journalist called um, Carlo Petrini and he basically, it was in retaliation to the arrival of the first McDonald's in Rome. I heard about this story. Yeah, it's, it's, a, really, yes. it's a really interesting <laughs> one and I think like what's really interesting is that it was just, you know, it was 1986, it was just way ahead of the time. It could be equally pertinent yeah. today because his whole mantra was around um, living harmoniously, living in harmony okay. with nature. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's kind of the more, I guess, the more abstract take of slow travel. Actually, yes, it's slow, but it's also in harmony in na- with nature. It has kind of greater ah, kind of, okay. you know, better environmental yeah. impact. And like better quality. Yeah, I think there's a quality aspect. I think there are almost like two sides to the coin. There's, mm. It's almost the antithesis to a fast-paced life in which we're kind of anonymized as individuals and it sort mm. of champions kind of more meaningful connections, greater immersion in, in your experience, what you're doing at that time. Yeah. But there's also the side that it's just, it's climate smart, it's more responsible, it's more considered, has better environmental impact. It's quite holistic really, isn't it, what people might be after then. There's like a lot of different reasons why... I mean, it does feel like we're in an age where we're definitely shaking off like that materialistic consumption sort of mindset. I think we've been coming out of it since the 90s, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that whole, like, you know, God, I don't know. It kind of ticks all the boxes, I suppose, doesn't it? In terms of... Because the way... So essentially, then, like, if we were to break it down, slow travel, experience economy, what what we, what we, what we trying to encap... What are we trying to explain here? What are we trying to encapsulate? There's, like... People are searching for, I'm not going to say meaning, but um, they're searching for a lower environmental impact on what they do. They're searching for social validation. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to belong, be part of something that, I don't know, is positive, I suppose. And also there's an authenticity. 
historic meaning in things. People are looking for things that just feel more real. That's quite across the board, like probably where our society is heading, would you say? Yeah, I, th- I think that absolutely. Sounds- uh, you know, I think it's, we're in a culture that, where we can have things instantly, we can get instant gratification yeah. from all manner of services. And obviously that has its value in many ways, but on the flip side, you know, where's that kind of meaningful connection? Where are the meaningful kind of, you know, face-to-face yeah. conversations, those interactions, those experiences? And I think that's in part where this is coming from, along with effectively, you know, the Greta Thunberg effect. And yeah, you know, things like flight shame and so on and all those oh, other I've kinds of that, elements yeah. sort of coming together and thinking about, just, just thinking about making better choices in what you do and, right. and how you act and how you behave and what that means for you. It sounds, when I look at this, it looks like there's a rediscovery of like the way things used to be as well and I bet you could and you could sum that up in the whole I don't, I don't like using terms like hipster or anything that labels a cultural movement or something but you we definitely saw that with that movement which was like a back to basics or a like rediscovery of like interesting things or interesting ways people did things and like the whole like love of craft mm. whether that was like food and drink clothes all sorts of things in in between it kind of feels like yeah i think it seems like <laughs> I, yeah I, I know what you mean i think you know seeing say the rise in i don't know knitting yeah, uh, the rise yeah. in sewing or interest in allotments I, I sometimes wonder if we generally you know and especially say in service industry and things like mm. that what we make is so intangible you know yeah there's almost like an innate desire to have something that we can create and that has meaning and exists and and we've put effort in and it's taken time in order to create something Mm. um and i think that's one of the other interesting things when you look at the kinds of experiences say offered in the hospitality industry and the kinds of unique experiences that become you know kind of really interesting and um take for example um limewood and their cookery courses Mm. The idea of actually making something with your own hands and then enjoying it afterwards and that entire process being something that you kind of really enjoy as an experience mm. um, and there's a tangible output at the end that, mm. that you've had to put effort in to create. I suppose what we're looking at is, is not something that's like suddenly arrived. Um, there's lots and lots of parts to what we're describing and if it is to be described as something, I suppose we can call it slow living or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I like that. A slow mindset. Mm. Um, but you, it's always oh, been there for a long time, hasn't it? Um, as I say, like the hipster movement had a lot of that in it. But there's always been pockets of society or people that are more interested in like uh, a slow way of doing things, a quality aspect to it, like you say, allotments. Even in the 80s, there was... Like, I mean, in the 70s, like crocheting was huge and stuff mm. like that was really big. Uh, and in the 80s, there were sort of anti-materialistic sort of movements there, New Age hippies and whatnot. I mean, <laughs> but are we saying that right now it's all sort of come into like a bit... Is this are all these parts sort of joining together? And should we be taking a bit more notice of that, whether you're travel, hospitality or whatever business? Do you, do you feel like it's all converging? I think... I, I, and I get the kind of idea that certain things are kind of cyclical and we're, you know, we're sort of there have always been kind of trends of wanting to create and to make and to sort of go back to almost this with this romanticized nostalgia and mm. do things that kind of our forebearers would have done and sure. create create and build and manufacture ourselves as individuals and I understand that but I do think there is a new 
aspect to what we're seeing now, especially mm. with with just such a heightened environmental awareness. I suppose, like, what it would have been before without mm. the environmental heightened awareness right. would be, that's cool. Yeah. Now it's like, that's cool. And necessary. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's just thinking, actually, how can I do something that gives my life a sense of meaning, that makes me feel cool and makes me feel good about myself, mm. and also has the added benefit that I'm not damaging the environment I'm yeah. living in. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm going too cerebral on that. Maybe that's no, not the no, case. No. It's really good to sort of unpack it a little bit as well because it does mean a lot and you can read it one way or another, but when you try and explain it holistically, then a business can probably try and understand it differently as well mm. or, or better, I suppose. So, I mean, the slow living, sustainable lifestyles are, are changing the way people shop for travel experiences, right? And, and dining experiences any kind of leisure experience I suppose what kind of I mean you used Lionwood as an example I can think of the pig as as an example Mm. um, with the growing everything on the side Mm. it's kind of an education as well when you go there it's like it's almost as if the owners are trying to say look this is how things should be done can be done were done and everything's more enjoyable when it's done this way it's Mm. like there's a lot to be taken from it and uh yeah, and the, uh, what other examples do you think are really tapping into this sort of cultural mentality of slow living and sustainability? I think it's, I think it's also it's uh, you know, and, and if you think about limewood and you think about the pig, I think especially the pig in terms of locally, you know, locally sourced mm. ingredients and those kinds of things. But actually, what it, it does this all kind of ladder up to? It's also a, as well as being kind of conscious and ethically kind of minded, it's also about a greater connection to nature, mm. and I think that's where. It's really interesting, for example, to see the Tewton Glen refurbishment as an example. So, what's that? I might be. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a, I mean, just a super fancy hotel in in the New Forest. Okay, but cool. They, you know, it's been around for a very long time, and they kind of in their big refurb took away all of like the chintzy elements that were kind mm. of once sort of associated with it, and and kind of pared it back, and have really invested in these kind of you know luxury treehouse experiences cool. I mean it's awesome you know it looks incredible it's highly Instagram friendly but <laughs> it's also interesting that there's that connection to nature um and I think there's you know another kind of example in that so trying to remember the name yeah Heckfield Place um so Heckfield Place they've kind of publicly said you know they don't want to create an environment where you're trying to be you know kind of lord of the manor type thing that's not what they're trying to go for anymore what they're trying to go (laughs) for is connecting their visitors to nature and connecting them to the environment encouraging them to go on various different kinds of walks and you know breathe in that fresh air and they've been really public with that and i think Mm. that kind of I love that. It's really nice, isn't it? That sort of just being much closer to nature. And I think that goes back to the kind of the living in harmony with nature sort of aspect. I bet it's got less, I bet there's less sort of um, connotations of it being pretentious that way as well. Because Mm. when you break it down into like being close to nature, you can't really, unless you dash it with like, and we're going to go out wearing these sorts of wellies and clothes and stuff like that. And there's like this sort of cultural code that goes with it. Mm. 
which is often like the case sometimes, isn't it? It's like, yeah, 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 I like nature too, but I don't wear those clothes. I don't have that those cultural sort of standards and stuff. When it's like stripped bare, mm. you're like unblocking like the potential for like a lot of people to be more interested in it, and it kind of feels honest. And it does. It feels I'm, really I'm honest. Rambling. <laughs> no, no, I'm no. And I think but. I think what's really interesting about it is you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's not a connection to nature and being, you know, a very stereotypical no. image of that. One of the things um, that Tutin Glenn noticed was that it was attracting a younger demographic. Um, Because of, you know, the treehouse, for example, that is an experience, but also that proximity to nature in a way that doesn't feel kind of outdated and sort of this kind of old school ruralism. Actually, it's something that feels kind of pertinent and relevant to people who are seeking, yeah. That's what I mean. It sounds like they're doing it right for those Mm, reasons rather than putting up a fence of pretense or... Yeah, something they have to subscribe to. Right, which I, I exactly. suppose we probably would have saw more of that in the past. You know what mm. I mean? With these establishments, it's like it's either posh, modern, or posh country, or posh right. something else. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like actually, do we need that? Because at the core of it, what people are enjoying is probably that closeness to nature. Mm. And what do they and need? Yeah. What do they? Well, yeah. Know. What do they need? And actually, I think fresh air. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I think and stuff. that's what we that's what we all need, and increasingly kind of greater kind of urban living and all those other kinds of things and you know all of us need to be in green space every now and again and actually mm. have a bit of health in our lives absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean so so those are sort of examples that these companies hotels etc they're, they're doing to try and attract this i mean this is what it boils down to it's such a really it's a really nice subject to talk about because mm. it's about like honesty sustainability uh, and all these great things but at the end of the day, businesses still need to make money. So it's like, it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. Because what we want to talk about is like... No, no, but it, it, you, I, I get the fact that, you know, obviously businesses need to be commercially minded and and what we're saying is kind of lovely and fluffy, but actually there are commercial ramifications. For example, if you are... I mean, for one, with the rise of slow travel, staycations are going to be on the rise. So how can... Staycations. So in terms of, you know, opportunities to to keep the tourism industry in the UK rather than travelling abroad. If you see flight shame kind of rise in the way, say, it has in Sweden, Mm. um, well, my goodness, we're we're not going to want to travel by plane. We're going to increasingly want to stay stay put or look for kind of more local options we can access Mm. by train or by boat. So that opens up opportunities in the British tourism industry. I think also there are opportunities when you think about... um, um, say hotels in proximity to rail stations or ferry ports or those mm. kinds of things so what what can be done there but equally there are probably things that hotels are doing without necessarily realizing it you know what kinds of aspects of of kind of your operations can you elevate to help people make feel like they're making good choices you know we're seeing a huge increase in for example in search traffic around zero waste holidays and those kinds of things oh, so right championing those different elements as well what what can you talk about within your kind of operational structure and mm. the, the way things that you do that refer back to the kinds of more sustainable environmentally conscious things that people are doing in short just how can you make people feel good about their choices that's mm. really what it kind of comes down to fundamentally yeah so i always think like a good opportunity i mean if obviously some businesses and companies are going to have an outdated business model where they you know they might have say for example there might be a resort it might be that they have you know a space which is filled with cabins or whatever 
and in order to increase profit um, everything's on site you know there's no need to go elsewhere though you know and if there is a competitor just a few miles down the road they might try and compete directly with them and do something on site so everything's sort of kept insular I think there's a real opportunity now with people people will be aware of these sorts of things it's like it almost feels like the remnants of a package holiday it's mm-hmm. like the 80s package holiday was you know all about gaudiness and like everything's sort of provided for you don't leave. on a service mm. like economy level and it's like yeah and don't leave and you'll have your slice of luxury in this other place and you know a lot of people subscribe to it but even as we've moved into like you know cabins in the woods as holidays there's still remnants of that because it's like actually we want you to be here mm. i think people are going to become aware of that and go yeah you're still a big business and you've still got a carbon footprint etc etc and there's a great you know shop down the road that you're trying to compete with that by having your own little news agency inside and stuff and I think there's an opportunity there for them to sort of look at the holistic experience and go well people want to come to a destination how do we increase our um, networks and links Mm. between the other providers of experience here and how do we link it all together to create that experience all you need then is someone to curate that experience Mm. and more and more that's obviously done online isn't it you know it's like actually you know there's there's websites out there I'm not going to name any (laughs) where you kind of put in your you know what what do I want out of it where do I want to go and then everything's joined together for you you know yeah that's got to work both ways obviously I think I think it has got to work both ways and I think you know it's really it's a really interesting point around if you're truly seeking authentic experiences that can't be provided all in one place necessarily you know there's there's still authenticity to be had there and I think again to kind of use someone like the pig that that that, and indeed linewood there's authenticity in terms of local production or those other kinds of things Mm. and sort of being focused in the middle of a beautiful part of the countryside where people kind of get around but absolutely i think there's a network angle there you know what can you do to champion local suppliers how can you say to someone oh by the way that you know the guy who supplies our wine he's got this like basement down the road with a cool tasting opportunity mm-hmm. why don't you go there uh, you know is that going to hit bottom line well in the immediate term yes long term does it help with retention um mm. even longer term does it then help with decisions with say some hotel chains as to whether you have say a restaurant offering or not if you've got Say mm-hmm. you're located yeah. amongst a, an incredible foodie destination. Why fight with the other foodie establishments? Why not focus on you know doubling down on, on the actual accommodation angle without mm. the overheads of the restaurant experience, and increase that network locally and make that amazing. Mm. I think there is obviously an angle around like the online curation side, and I think part of the challenge in the hospitality industry is that gets hijacked and overtaken by. Mm you know, the big kind of aggregators and and kind of other sort of means of, of curating that experience. And I think there's a there's a certain level of ownership that I think the hospitality industry needs to claw back there. Mm. You know, how can you how can you be the concierge to the local yeah. environment, to the local <laughs> area? Um, yeah. how can you take that control back? Mm. And how can you deliver that through an online presence and the in um, hotel experience as well? Mm. And yeah. remain sort of personal yeah with like an actual sensible connection and and with a level of authority that perhaps a a different kind of online source might not have Mm. interesting very interesting (laughs) oh yeah i I just wanted to speak as well about um uh, community and definitely in our industry we've heard a lot 
of talk about design of culture mm. and that's not too dissimilar to like a desire to design community I don't think um, and I've heard lots of good ways that people are saying that they're, they're, they're designing their company culture what does it mean and then there's also loads of bad examples of like mm. you must think and feel this way and you get a free bean bag and all this other <laughs> stuff in terms of company culture that is but I know that like community and it's this verging on a similar sort of exploratory sort of discussion we're having here which is like yeah this network this thing um, people that care about the certain things or they want to go here and stuff like mm. that do you anticipate that companies might struggle in the future and try and over design what a community looks like do you think that's what we've done in the past it's a really it's a really is interesting that... question uh, and when it so there are two books that kind of always stare in my head that yeah. <laughs> So one is um, Imagined Communities by a guy called Benedict Anderson. These are really old books, by the way. <laughs> and the other one is called The Invention of Tradition by Eric Hobsbawm and Terence Ranger. And cool. they're interesting reads. They're really old. But, <laughs> but I like old books. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that they... Basically, the kind of crux of the two books... Oh, my God, I'm heavily kind of... Oh, you know being awful to the poor authors here this is <laughs> this is a very crude interpretation of what they're saying but is basically how can you foster a sense of kind of cohesion and identity community spirit with people that you might not necessarily meet or have a face-to-face conversation with right so right. That, that's really stuck with me especially with regards to say take the soho farmhouse yeah so um eric Hobson's idea was you can actually mm invent tradition and you can invent a history and heritage and symbols and meanings yeah. and values yeah. <laughs> that then creates artificially the sense of unity and community and um kind of a shared yeah. kind of ethics and values and, and kind of ways of operating those kinds of things in like a, in a visual form are we talking about like right emblems and badges yeah and so like are we trying are they looking are they trying to create an aesthetic that appears older than it actually is? Yes, completely. And and that's no bad thing, but I find it really, it's really fascinating to me yeah. that the actual, you know, and they, again, they've been really upfront about it. You know, it's, it's perfectly kind of out there, but Soho Farmhouse came into being, I think, in 2015. Okay. But the aesthetic has been designed to look beaten up. And <laughs> yeah. they've literally used that yeah. phrase. They've actually used a... A more a worse <laughs> phrase I can't use in this podcast, but yeah, they've used the term like to make it look beaten up, make it look like it's been there for ages. And mm-hmm. obviously, some of the buildings, you know, they were old kind of farmhouses and things like that. There was an old mill there, but there's been this conscious effort to create a past that's not 100% genuine. And that's no bad thing, but I think that's really interesting. That how interesting, <laughs> yeah, like to create a history that doesn't exist yeah, are we talking okay are they quite transparent about this so that you know things like if you look at their articles from their architects and all those kinds of things they've yeah. been very upfront about I need it to check them out. and you know and when you go there it's like okay i know that this this looks and kind of reasonably new and you know, yeah. it's a beautiful incredible experience but i think trying to create an imagined past in order to give the community and it is a community who go because it's it's members to give that kind of community a sense of like rural escape and Uh, kind of this earthiness and this connection to nature and this kind of belief that you're in a 
countryside setting that has a really long textured interesting past that's really interesting in terms of trying to build that community given mm. that it's not 100% real it's really so, really yeah. bizarre and really intriguing is the concept the only thing I can think that I know of as something similar is um, a group of musicians <laughs> well they're a collective and they all release their music through a label called Ghost Box Recordings oh, yeah. have you heard of them no. well they've got like a little manifesto and all of their music sounds like 1970s music for school and infomercials and stuff <laughs> and their manifesto is um, oh, I don't know if I can find it right now but it's essentially they are creating music that has been created in a hypothetical future we promised ourselves in the 70s <laughs> oh my god I love that <laughs> which is almost like a different take on it it's like what did we promise we promised ourselves a future that we've, we, we never experienced but the promise of that future was so intriguing and that was so naive and looked to be really fruitful. It's been denied. So there's almost like a, an escape back there, mm. which harks to like nostalgia. And I mean, music is deep, deeply nostalgic mm. to some people, especially that synthesized 70s yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah. But it's, it almost feels like there's a, they're, they're, they're flipping on that concept a little bit. It's like, maybe, you know, it's like, it, it's the past, it can feel like the past, but it can be a past that is untarnished by some of the shit that happened between then and now and the things that were going on at the time. And it's you're like, so actually, right. And you're, I think, you're revis- revisiting a notion, right? And I think that ties into what you were saying earlier about this idea of, you know, where you see the rise again of like sewing, knitting, allotments, those kinds yeah. of things. And, and yeah, so it's kind of coming full circle, but to a romanticized view of the past, uh-huh. that's not. you know that's not necessarily true um but it makes you feel better about where you are now so yeah yeah, it's yeah i think i'll get my head around that it's yeah again probably too cerebral but it's it you know what soho farmhouse have done and they've done really well is created and it is and you know their aesthetic is remarkable but they've created this kind of beaten up but beautiful rural setting mm. that attracts a community and retains a community and people flock there that's amazing um, and what better time than now as well to um i know i know the 70s like aesthetic movement the browns and the oranges mm-hmm. and the crochets and the natural stuff and like recycling of beer bottles into like cups and like bringing the outside inside was like a complete like rejection of like 60s excess mm. and also like a bit of a uh, uh, turning their backs like totally on what the hippies were doing as well with like this like totally like wild and unfocused like way of way way that the future could be and that that sort of spurred that on I think we're in a similar time but like obviously by indulging in past natural ecosystems it, it's it's um, a win-win for everybody right? mm. you know it's quite easy to look back on past behavior and look back to the kind of hedonistic consumption of say the early 2000s and fast fashion and all those other kinds Mm. of things and what we kind of prioritized what we valued then and start to feel bad about the choices that you made and i think to then jump forward to now Mm. there is probably a desire to think actually like let's reset a little bit we're Mm. more aware of the impact of the choices that we make Mm. Let's, you know, have something that makes us feel good, makes us feel connected to nature, makes us feel kind of like we're making good and smart yeah. decisions, um, but also it gives us a nice break. Yeah. <laughs> That's the challenge. Yeah. Essentially, though, like a, a bit, if you're in the travel industry, there's lots of things you can do, like in terms of it being small or big, sorry, not travel industry, 
hospitality and travel, the whole the whole lot. You've got um, big players like the Pig doing something really quite interesting, unique, and mm. I'm not going to say extreme, but they're they're really pushing it out to do something really really unique. Um, but to make a positive change, you don't have to go as far as that. There's other things that can be done. You can be quite clear and open about um, your carbon footprint. Mm. Um, you know, there could be more. I mean, even if it's just visiting a website and there's just more of an open promotion about, you know, getting here by train or other mm, things like exactly. that to try and sort of start somebody's journey before you know, they've actually arrived, things like that. All of these things could make a, a, a difference in a positive way, right? Mm. So it does, we don't have to invest in the biggest, no. boldest ideas. We can do... Yeah, I think, you know, exactly. Elevating, you know, your proximity to travel links, those kinds of things, mm. I think, becomes mm. a massive one. Anything that even you're doing to minimise plastic use, for example, taking out the mini yeah. bottles of shampoo, those kinds of things, even the little stories, it helps people feel feel better, helps people mm. feel better about their climate, smart choices. So just just before we finish, I just I pulled some stats out, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think are worth, um, worth considering, but um, 79% of people say sustainable considerations impact their transport choices when travelling which is from booking.com. Mm-hmm. 79% of British travellers say queues are their biggest source of irritation at airports. <laughs> that relates to, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> you know, even if they're not about eco-friendliness, that's a big blocker too. 76 of boomers and 62% of Gen X travellers rank local culture as the most important aspect of their decision-making when booking a trip. You know, so these things can't mm-hmm. really be ignored, really. 76% is a massive <laughs> yeah. you know, number of people. And that's from Expedia. Uh, no, good stats. Like good, good stats. All right. Well, I think we'll end it there. Thank you. And it would be great if you could come back in the future and talk I'd a little bit more. I'd love to. Yes. I feel like we've unpacked a lot, and we could go quite deep into some other areas. Mm. But um, really appreciate your time. No, really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks Thank very you. much, Kelly. Cheers. Until next time. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.